still Saima. I still like to have a glass of wine. <laughs> I still like, you know, I still like going to concerts and festivals. And I'm, I'm you know, I'm still the same person. I'm just a bit, I'm just a bit, I've got an expiry date, right? <laughs> that's what, you know, that's what, that's what's going on. This is Lekka. I'm Lucy Dealer. About two and a half years ago, I went to Masalawala Cafe in Broccoli, South East London, to record what became the first ever episode of this podcast. I was so struck by the warmth and charm of the restaurant's co-founders and directors, Saima and her mother Nabila. And over the next two years, I watched the restaurant grow from strength to strength. Then, somewhere through last year, I found out via Saima's own social media that she'd been diagnosed out of the blue with incurable stage four lung cancer at just 29 years old. That first episode of Lekka, where Saima and Nabila cooked chana masala and talked about the struggles of running an independent, female-focused Pakistani restaurant, was massively significant for me. The episode really struck a chord with so many people who discovered Lekka, and to this day, it's one of my most listened to episodes. People often mention it specifically when they talk to me about the podcast. So I guess I felt this kind of connection and gratitude to Saima for her very large part in that. And I was completely shocked to hear what was happening with her. From the start, Saima has been and continues to be completely open and public about living with cancer. She started a blog, Curry and Cancer, where she writes beautifully and movingly about her life which was obviously turned on its head absolutely by her diagnosis. I decided to get back in touch with her and see if she would be up for speaking to me again about how this enormous change in her life had altered things for her. She very generously agreed, and the following conversation was recorded back in Masalawala Cafe in October last year. I just wanted to flag that as well as discussion of cancer, there's also mention of miscarriage in this episode, in case that's something you'd prefer not to listen to right now. Um, I had masala eggs actually. Ooh, tell me about your masala eggs. Um, so a bit of chili, tomatoes, a bit of cumin, coriander. And is it like scrambled eggs? Like scrambled eggs, yeah, but desi. It's our own, our version. <laughs> nice, that sounds spiked. amazing. Was that a regular breakfast spiked? <laughs> it's a, um, yeah, it's a Punjabi staple. It's nice. like life. I saw it, someone, literally I saw it on their Insta stories and I was like, I need to have that. I need to have that now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the law. Are you living out in Kent now? Did I make that yeah. up? Yeah. So I moved out there a year ago. Mm. Has, that, has that been weird moving back? It's been, yeah, it's been interesting because I've moved out a year ago because we wanted to, my, my um, husband's a, now husband, now husband, partner. I keep thinking my partner. No, no husband. husband. Um, he's a black taxi driver and they don't like London after 12 hours of... Fair, yeah. Yeah, so he was like, let's go like try Kent. And you know, it was like a year ago. So I was like, okay, I'll give it a go. Obviously, I'm still there now because I've got this diagnosis. And I'm like, well, it's just too stressful to move. I'm quite happy there. It's really lovely, really green. And um, yeah, it's really ideal, actually. It's okay. been good for my recovery, actually. It's actually almost two, like exactly two years ago since I was here for the last time, which seems really wild. Um, but like, like a birthday. Yeah, it is, isn't it? <laughs> like a Masala Wala episode birthday. I, I really wanted to come back because I know there's been a lot going on with you. And I just 
maybe you could tell me a little bit about what's been happening with you. <laughs> I don't know where you want I mean, to start. Where do I start? I mean, the last two years have been the most interesting years of my entire 29 years on this planet. So yeah, last time we spoke, we were kind of like building up the business. We were getting quite a lot of acknowledgement. We received a, a Time Out Love London award. And, you know, we're really kind of finding our feet in the kind of restaurant world because we are nearly four years old. We're, we're still relatively new. It's my first food business, let alone, you know, being self-employed. So, yeah, just finding my feet really in the kind of where we are restaurant-wise. You know, we had this concept, this home cuisine, bringing it to the restaurant, which is interesting. And it was different and it is, you know, out there to do this. And we still get feedback to this day, like, why do you only have four main items? And, you know, where's the poppadom? You know, we still oh, get God. those comments. And, you know, we've had people walk out because we, you know, they're like, why, why do you not have cobra beers? You know, and it's just like, I have to have cobra. And, you know, we're like, okay, fair enough. We sell, you know, local craft thing. beer. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, you know, it is different what we do. And, we, we, you know, we've, we've stuck with it and we're really pleased that we're still here, especially in the kind of current state of the industry, as you say totally, today. Yeah. Is it six months since you were diagnosed? Yeah, so it's my six month anniversary last week. Yeah, so go me. And you'd been ill for quite a bit of time before that. So yeah, leading up to the diagnosis, I think there was about a good, um, it was about a good month to six weeks where I had quite, you know, clear symptoms, um, you know, that led to the diagnosis. And then previous to that, I actually suffered a miscarriage in January, which would have been immediately re related to the, you know, what else was happening in my body. Right, but you just didn't know at that point that that's what was going on. I mean, that must have no. just been the most unbelievable emotion, as well as physical kind of stress, just emotional stress. It was, it was a traumatic time, to say the least. Um, you know, on top of that, I was trying to run two businesses and be 29 and be young and active. And then all these things just kept happening to my body and telling, you know, telling me that, you know, something was up and uh, I, I needed to figure out what was going on. And the GPs were just, they weren't seeing it. No one thought it would be stage four lung cancer, you know, no idea. So first it was, you know, they thought there was something wrong with my thyroid. Then, you know, the kind of vegetables, blood cancer, but never in a million years did, were they or me under the impression that it could possibly be lung cancer. And how did that feel when those words were actually spoken out loud for the first time? So I went numb. I really did. I think it was just like, are you actually kidding? Like, are you playing a prank on me, universe? What's, what, you know, is this a joke? Because I just never thought it would happen to me. I just thought it was an old person's disease. That's what the perception is, that you just think of old men keeling over coughing. I've not had a cough in like a year and a half. <laughs> like, you know, why me? I was just like, how is this even, a, how is this even possible? So you never envisage obviously being self-employed when you have a vision and you're kind of seeing this through that, you know, I never envisaged having to hand this over to my family. And, but obviously when I was faced with the reality, which was that you're not very well. Um, and, you know, the doctors told me that, you know, without treatment, I'd had six to 12 months. I went into panic mode and, um, you know, I've handed over everything and anything to my sisters. I was just sending them texts with various codes and passwords and just anything to do with the business I try to hand over as much as. Um, going forward, when the kind of dust settled, we made some kind of nice conscious decisions together as a family that, um, you know, my youngest, who, Nafisa, um, complete brain box, really, really good, actually better than me at admin. So she does all the kind of emails and the admin. 
and uh, the other sister, Ikra, does the physical shift work and, the, you know, the actual errands and runarounds. Because all these things I was doing myself and, you know, I was running the place with my mother and you just kind of get on with it. You know, I was young, I was able to take it, was otherwise fit and active. And I was really enjoying what I was doing, you know. I really, really thoroughly enjoyed my job. But, yeah, obviously, reality calls and my health changed situation changed and you know they had to step in I'm extremely lucky I know that not everybody has a massive Asian family to, <laughs> to, to see through their dreams but you know at the moment it works and you know who knows what the future holds we no one knows yeah that's so true and I know you've written um really beautifully about the kind of the kind of idea about illness in the Asian community and how it's different from a lot of people's experiences like in kind of like white British families. Uh, that must have been really hard to navigate. Do you want to talk a little bit about kind of how it was hard breaking the news to your mum that you were ill? So, yeah, to put it bluntly, I mean, my mother didn't know what cancer was. So how, how do you begin to explain, you know, the severity of what was going on? I wanted to almost drive home the severity of the illness, which was that it's incurable, you know, something's massively gone wrong with my system, you know, my cells are, the naughty cells are playing up and, you know, it, it may not stop and, you know, I could, you know, I could possibly go in remission, but it could be for short periods of time and my life has been shortened. But she, she had no idea about cancer at all. You know, we had no, nothing to go off, no hereditary um, information, no... None of her friends had spoken about it. None of our aunties and uncles had spoken about it. So for me, it was like, does this even happen to brown people? <laughs> like, you know, because, you know, if you look at the media and you look at... That's what, so true. Yeah, like, you look at the media and you look at the texts and the information, a lot of it is, like, you know, white people yeah. with, with, you know, women with breast cancer yeah. or white people. You don't think it's going to happen to you. So it was almost like I've re I actually... I actually admired her ignorance almost because I wanted to be in that place, you know, that place that was, oh, it's okay. She, she said, you know, it's okay, better, daughter, you know, you'll be fine. And, and it was almost like I had the flu and I wish I did, you know, I, I wish I did to a certain extent. And I was like, no, I know too much information. You know, I've grown up in, you know, Western society. I understand that, you know. You've got the internet at your fingertips. Like. The C word is bad, yeah. <laughs> right? And that's such a hard thing, isn't it? Because when you're breaking news like that to your family, you want to protect them. So you want to be like, oh, it's not that bad. But also you want to be like, it, the reality is that I, I can't I can't be like, it's not a serious thing because it is a serious thing. And that's so hard to navigate as well as kind of the horrible thing of breaking that news to your family, I guess. I mean, no daughter wants to tell their mother yeah. that they're, 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 they're basically going to die before they are. Yeah. No, no daughter wants to tell their mother that. You, you, you know, I, I, I looked to my future and I thought... Basically, especially in our kind of community anyway, Asian society, you worship, your, you worship your, your parents, you do. And I worship my mother. So always thought that I would be there for her, regardless of what happened. So to, yeah, to break that, it was heartbreaking. It was, it, it was very difficult, but it was frustrating as well at the same time, because I was trying to be like, Mum, I have cancer. How do, you, how do you even begin to explain such a complex disease? Yeah, totally. You know? Yeah. And what I, I know you've written about kind of breaking the news to your wider family in Pakistan. Um, had, was that kind of a, an even greater scale than breaking it to your mum because you just have kind of no basis to go from? So it was over kind of um, phone calls, <laughs> WhatsApp phone calls. And I kind of was trying to tell them in my kind of broken Urdu language that <laughs> I had lung cancer. And they were like, what? And they, they wouldn't accept that 
what was happening was happening. And they were like, oh, you'll be fine. You know, you're in our prayers. And, you know, there is that kind of, I suppose, being a Muslim that they think you can just pray this one out. <laughs> and I'm like, that's a great idea. I'm, I'm not very a religious person. So <laughs> for me, I just know that I can't really pray this one out. Like, I can't. And they left things as, as that. And they spoke to my mother and they basically, she explained to them that I had a skin rash. So when we next had communication, my auntie was telling me to wear a red headscarf. Um, she told me to um, not change my clothes for 11 days. And then after 11 days, um, eat sweet rice, which it sounds absolutely mental. It sounds quite fun, actually. Maybe worth trying, but... I just knew that that wasn't going to cure the cancer. <laughs> but she basically thought I had chicken pox. And you're like, babes. Again, I do kind of admire that because the simplicity of it, right? Because right. maybe if I kind of broke things down in such simple terms, maybe I wouldn't have, um, I don't know, been as anxious about the disease as I have been. Interesting. Mm. And would you say that the anxiety has been a massive part of kind of how you've lived with it as well? Anxiety, I'd say before, I was kind of like, obviously on reflection, I was running on, um, I'd say I was like anxious, but high functioning. So I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't ever have, you know, any kind of problems. I never had a panic attack in my life or anything like that. Or, you know, so I was quite, quite chilled out. So if anyone, you know, asks, oh, what's Simon like? You know, I'd always say, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a chilled out girl, you know, I'm a good time, you know? And I was very, very relaxed and in myself, but you know, I've, I've kind of dealt with a lot, I suppose being 29, running a restaurant. I was I gonna the, say, you kind of have to be to be able to do what you do. I had, I had the capabilities to, you know, I had a high threshold basically, <laughs> I would say. And uh, yeah, I think the disease did knock me out. It, no, it's, it's mental battle more than, you know, the doctors can fix you, fix you physically, you know, they, they've got everything they need, all the tools and stuff. But I think a lot of the work when it comes to such a heavy diagnosis, where it could be any sort of disease, I think it's mentally, it really can get to you because you're almost, you're grieving for your former self because it is so life-changing. That was part of the challenge. That was, that was huge. It was a big obstacle. And did you, have you found, I mean, kind of outside of your family, like other people that you know, your friends, has anyone found it really hard to speak to you about it? Have, have there been people who have been like, oh, I just don't really know what to say? So I think there is, I mean, there is a massive taboo around illness and any serious illness, especially in like for white people, like massively, because we're mm. so kind of scared of talking about things like that. Mm. Have, have you found that? Yeah, I mean, the re reactions have been mixed and, you know, I've learned that it's just everyone is different and we're all, you know, we're all just trying to, you know, navigate our, our, our way through things. Um, there's there've been people who've just been absolutely speechless and kind of hugged me and walked away from me and then they've apologised after because they were just, you know, trying to take it in. There've been people who have been, you know, quite loving and understanding. You know, maybe they've been through trauma themselves so they've kind of, you know, touched the dark side. It's not that it makes them any stronger, it's just that they've touched the dark side, right? Mm. So, you know, there've been people, you know, I've had a lot of friends come forward in different ways. Um, you know, some have been fantastic and they've just treated me exactly the same. You know, I'm still Saima. I still like to have a glass of wine. <laughs> I still like, you know, I still like going to concerts and festivals. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm still the same person. I'm just a bit, I'm just a bit, I've got an expiry date, right? <laughs> that's what, you know, that's what, that's what's going on. So, you know, I've got those friends, but then I've had other friends who've just taken it so badly. Really? You know? Yeah. Like I remember breaking the news to one of my friends and she just, she just kept calling me back going, are you sure? Are you sure? And I'm like, I was almost having to reassure her. <laughs> it's like, 
I'm the one with it. And she's like, no, are you sure though? What are the doctors saying? I don't understand. And I'm like, Sharon, they're there. Pretty sure, yeah. yeah like, <laughs> but you know, she's great now. She's like one of my closest, oldest friends. And yeah, I think yeah, it's just the initial shock, right? Totally. Yeah. And that's a really hard thing for you to deal with on top of everything else. Because like actually breaking this thing to be, I mean, breaking bad news to people is horrible at the best of times. Mm. But when it's, you know, it's such a big thing, it's such a life-changing thing, as you say, do you find there's a lot of, I mean, lung cancer as well, do you find there's been a lot of misconceptions about people automatically assume it's a behavioural thing and a lifestyle thing? Absolutely, yeah. I've had people who've, you know, genuinely come, you know, to my face said, you know, do you smoke? As if to say... It's your fault then. Yeah, that's it now. That's it now. So when you drop dead, and, you know, it's because you smoked. You know, and it's almost here. They're justifying, you know, my, my outcome to themselves. And right. that was very, very difficult, actually. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, but I'm 29. You know, I had yeah. a couple of fags. And also you look at all the people who were like in their like a hundred and still smoking 40 a day. It's like, that's not how it works. It's not <laughs> like that. It's cancer doesn't work like that. It's not, yeah. It's like, if you if you look at the statistics, I've, I've had to do a lot of statistic searching because for me, it's like, why me? And you know, it is like, I've, I've spoken to so many people now. I've spoken to a 44 year old who's never smoked with the same diagnosis. I've right. spoken to 35 year olds, 20 something year olds now. It's, it, it is a thing, one in 10 will get it without smoking but there is this big obviously all these campaigns and um the media has obviously done such a good job of associating it with smoking that it's just got a bad rap but now people are afraid to talk about it and it's the third most common cancer God. you know but i suppose yeah it's just the thing obviously like breast cancer is very pink and it's like think pink and that's so true you know, the branding of it is yeah. very yeah when you think lung cancer you think like cigarette packets like that's what they you know yeah. that's what they've successfully none of it's pretty it all no. of it's horrible you know no one wants any cancer but yeah no, it's course. just the misconceptions i suppose but hopefully by me talking about it it will just help other people kind of make sense of things. Yeah, definitely. I wanted to talk to you as well about uh, the fact you've been so open about um, living with cancer. And was that a conscious decision? You were like, I just want to talk about this. Because, you you know, you live your life quite openly. You've always very open about the restaurant and like things that you're doing. Was it kind of just a continuation of that for you? I think so. I mean, for the last four years, I've been kind of flogging curry. And I've not really used social media before for personal reasons. Sure. It's quite new. It is quite new to me and I'm still learning all about it. And I suppose when I handed over the business to my sisters, you know, they kind of run the socials and stuff like that. I had a bit of a void. And I kind of enjoyed <laughs> sharing my curry every day, like, you know, eight in the morning. It's like, curry, come get a curry from Salawala. And, you know, it was a big part of my life. So suddenly I, I came out came out to the world, it's a coming out party, right, yeah. you know, telling people that you have cancer. I came out around, um, I think it was beginning of June, end of May, I kind of shared it on Instagram and things. And then from there, I just started kind of getting a bit more brave about it. And I was just like, you know, hang on, there's all these people, this, you know, they're kind of making out their lives are perfect and they're all, everyone's on holiday and stuff and having a good time. And I was like, hang on, you know what? I've got cancer. I'm just going to share my story. I'm like, let, let's get real. Let's just share the ugly bits. Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's just share it because I think it is so influential. Like whether we like it or not, it is absolutely integrated into our lives. We, you know, we can't avoid social media and it is, it is huge and it's very strong. And I've found fantastic people through social media now to share my experiences with and other people with cancer, other people with long-term illnesses. I've made friends mm -hmm. for life from it. And so there's fantastic things to do. I'll call it kind of the anti-social media, <laughs> I would say, <laughs> how not to use it. Um, but people kind of, they like it, apparently. Like I started the blog as therapy. I started writing to kind of 
find my way through the, you know, through the situation. And, but then people were contacting me about, you know, different subjects about anxiety, about miscarriage, about not even just the cancer. So if it's helpful to one person, let alone 100, then I'll just keep sharing. Why not? I think that's, that's interesting, isn't it? Because I think people sort of forget that um, when someone has cancer, it's not like everything else in their life doesn't stop, like you were saying. It's like everything else that was going on in your life is there and it's just the cancer is there as well. And I think it, people kind of separate things. Mm. But like the fact that it is, like, it's like, oh, yeah, I can see how your anxiety like fitted in with that. And the fact that you'd suffered a miscarriage, which, you, you know, must have been horrendous in itself, but then this whole thing. So, yeah, I guess people almost find stuff to relate to it. And they're like, oh, yeah, this is just, this is a normal person. Like, yeah. <laughs> a totally normal person. I'm not exceptional. I'm not special. I'm not the, the, the picked one. I'm just have it and you know I'm, I'm just like you or anybody else you know I'm, I'm still 29 year old me mm. well let's talk about food because it's really important and yes. you I mean you called the blog <laughs> curry and cancer because it's I mean it's such a massive part of your life like you say you've been you've been flogging curry here for four years like how has your relationship with food changed since you've been living with cancer um I appreciate it much more because I actually um I can't even say it properly, stomatitis. I had stomatitis, which is inflammation of the mouth and lips. So I'm on a drug called a fatinib, and usually the doctors, they start you on a high dose and work you down to get you to the most effective point with the treatment. And uh, I really suffered. I had really like inflamed taste buds almost, and anything remotely flavoursome would touch my lips. You know, I'm like, I love chilies, I love vinegar, really pungent flavours, right? I can't deal with like plain crisps. I can't deal with any plain flavors. Like I'm, I'm all about the flavors. And then suddenly for me to even struggle eating a tomato, it was devastating. And that pushed my anxiety levels as well. Because obviously the first thing you want to do when, you, when, you, when you're told your body's ill and you've got cancer, you want to nourish that body. And for me, I knew how important food was to, to, to help me with that recovery. And um, yeah, it was just so stressful. It was so stressful because I just couldn't enjoy anything. I just couldn't enjoy food. That was my one passion. Obviously, I made a career out of food and suddenly I couldn't freaking taste anything or like eat anything. It was just, it was devastating. But um, luckily I'm on, a, I'm on a lower dose now and I can eat spice, which is <laughs> quite, quite crucial when you, uh, when you run a Pakistani restaurant. <laughs> And do you think that you, you do kind of view food differently? I mean, now you can actually like enjoy what you like again. Do you think you view it differently? Is there kind of an element where you're like, obviously, I'd like, you're not going to buy into the whole, like, those people who were like, you can cure cancer with turmeric. But like... I've been eating turmeric since I was three. <laughs> That's not curing me, is it? <laughs> exactly. Um, one of the reasons why all of that is so dangerous. But like, there must be an element where you really want to nourish yourself and look after yourself the best you possibly can. Have you found that you've kind of been thinking about that more? Absolutely. I'd say I'll be I'm more mindful about what I eat. I've not kind of made radical diet changes, mm. but what I consume is, is well thought out now. Whereas I say before, you know, like any old 20 something year old girl, I might, I might just go for the pasta, go for the yellow option. And I love yellow, right? Everyone, I love potatoes. Beige. <laughs> I love beige, you know, but now I'm just being a bit more mindful and I'm trying to eat more salads and just, you know, get, get more nutrients in my body and just, yeah, just think of each meal time as a, as a point of call instead of kind of just going for the convenience you know processed foods etc etc do you find that cooking's helped with your anxiety in any way 
Absolutely. Yeah, it's really relaxed me. It's like one of my favourite things to do. Um, especially in the home, it's a different mm. experience than when you're in a restaurant. You're like, come on, let's blend <laughs> eight onions. <laughs> let's go. And you're like, oh my God, we've, want, we've burnt the base to start again. And, you know, it's quite stressful in the kitchen, um, in a restaurant. But at home, it's, 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 it's a lot more calmer. Yeah. yeah I put on a bit of, bit of Radio 6 or a podcast or something. And yeah, Zone just out. relax. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's fun. Well, actually, and I also want to talk to you because not only have has all of this health stuff been happening, but I mean, you've had some incredibly positive things, haven't you, as well? I mean, you got married, which is like a massive thing. And that must have just been such a kind of wild ride balancing those things. <laughs> Absolutely. In your brain. I'd say the way, the, so yeah, I got married end of August, which was fabulous. And yeah, we just had the best day. It was just a party. We're like, let's have a party. We need to have something good to happen this year, right? Because we had, a, you know, all this stuff going on. So we got engaged in January, and this was before the diagnosis, and, um, right. or, um, and how it? long have you been together? Uh, been together nearly seven years now, and uh, it was time, he'd been there by my side, he was there holding my hand, you know, at my darkest hour, and, you know, I pre- obviously I love him more, I love my family more, I love everybody more, um, I've got a lot of love to give now, and uh, yeah, so we were just like, yeah, let's just do something awesome, let's get married, let's make this real, went through with that, absolutely brilliant day fantastic and I mean you're someone who is absolutely a doer I mean like you opened this restaurant kind of basically overnight and then you opened another um, business last year which you did end up closing because you just couldn't manage to run it the Deptford Esquire bar has this changed kind of the way that you think about doing things has it changed your kind of plan like where you plan things like how how are you kind of navigating looking at the future I guess I think I've learned that <laughs> I've learned that there's no way to plan things, really and truly. Really and truly, you cannot plan, right? Right. Um, this, this is a prime example. I really thought I'd keep this going. I started a second business. I thought, let's, you know, I was thinking about a third site or street food or pop-ups or whatever. I had all those ideas. But this has really taught me the lesson that I've got to kind of get myself in the present a little bit and, you know, mm. work my way back and not be so, like, forecasting about my kind of business decisions. It doesn't mean I'm not an entrepreneur though. I'm still an entrepreneur and I still want to find ways to, uh, you know, generate interest in Masala Wala that never leave me because this is my pride and joy. Um, And hopefully through writing about my experiences, again, that's my outlet. Um, You know, if I can help others, that's great. Um, Going forward, I'd love to like, obviously these recipes are unwritten. I'm in the process of getting them written. So that's the kind of next steps I'm going for because even though I have cancer, I'm still an entrepreneur. I'm right. still, you know, yeah. I'm still me. So I'm finding ways, you know, other channels, other avenues to go down to kind of express my kind of thought process. Because I think we all think we've got infinite time, even though we don't, like in a weird sort of way, don't we? Like we think we're immortal <laughs> I know we just don't deal with, we don't deal with the idea of death or dying very well and I think it is a very British thing um you know there's something to be admired by my ancestors like in Pakistan because you know when someone dies uh, it's very it's very quick and they kind of like get the body and they parade it around the village and everyone you know says their wishes and then they bury it immediately within like 24 hours I believe and it's all very open but here it's very much like, you know, you draw the curtains on it and kind of say someone passed away and, you know, it's all very like hush hush, right? Um, but yeah, those words were just amazing to even consider the new year. I just did not cross my mind because I'm just trying to get through the next month. 
I really am. <laughs> so I, I guess I was just going to ask you, are there any dishes, and just to kind of tie it back to the food, are there any dishes in particular that you've really enjoyed making? Because I know you shared the chana masala recipe, which is a classic. I've made it many times since you shared it on Lekka. Uh, and you shared that in the Southeast London Journal recently. But is there anything else you've kind of been cooking recently that has just been a real kind of source of nourishment and happiness to you? Um, recently, for me, um, it's been all about the beans and lentils. And they're just my go-to because there's just so many ways you can cook it. So for me, uh, yellow split lentils are great. Um, and they're so nutty and absolutely fantastic. They're my favorite lentil and I keep putting them on the menu as well as the chickpea curry, as well as the carrot and pea curry. They're just my faves. I'd say they're my three fave veggie dishes because I'm actually not much of a meat eater. You know, growing up, it's very much about, you know, Pakistani cuisine is very much about the vegetables and mm. the beans and the pulses. Um, that's it's the cornerstone of our cuisine. And they've been the most nourishing, obviously packed with proteins. Um, they're vegan, very light, so very digestible. Mm. Yeah. And what, what do you do with the, what do you say, was yellow split lentils? Yellow split chickpea lentils. So you, you'd make a turka. So that would be uh, onion, cumin, garlic, ginger, um, turmeric, garam masala, chili, whatever spices you want. Cumin powder, coriander powder, and you'd kind of fry that off. Obviously, you fry off the onions first, make sure they don't burn. You add a bit of water, and then that would be the durka, which you set aside. Okay. And then you would boil the lentils um, until they're cooked, and then you'd add the durka to the lentils, and then you kind of cook it off for a little bit longer. Done. My yeah. favourite. Sounds amazing. <laughs> I'll send you the recipe if you want. Please do. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much to Saima for her time and generosity in speaking to me once again. You can find her blog at curryandcancer.com and I urge you to go back and read every post. It's so beautifully written and honest and actually doing so much to break down taboos around cancer and illness and death. You can also find her on all good social media platforms at Curry and Cancer. And I do, of course, also highly recommend a trip to her brilliant restaurant, Masala Wala Cafe, which is in Broccoli in South East London. Simon's been everywhere recently, rightly so, writing for and featuring in tons of publications about living with cancer. Refinery29, HuffPost, iNews, Metro, to name but a few. I'm going to link to some of these on the Lekka Twitter over the next few days so you can read them too. So make sure you're following at Lekka Podcast and it's the same over on Insta as well, where I'll be posting some photos of Simon. She was also recently a guest co-host on the BBC's amazing podcast, You, Me and the Big C, which is available now on BBC Sounds. The episode that Simon was in was called Culture and Cancer. Simon's also now set up a Facebook support group for anyone going through something similar to her and also finding that their stories are not represented in the mainstream, very whitewashed images of cancer patients. If you search Black, Asian, Minority Ethnic Cancer Support, you can find it on there. Once again, thank you to Saima for sharing her story with me and with you. I'll be back in two weeks with another lecker. See you then.